Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Pure Wad. Pure Wad was created out of pure necessity. Nearly every other pre-workout on the market will make you crash. And it's filled with ingredients you can barely pronounce. The solution was to create a pre-workout supplement that adds more than it takes away. That's where Pure Wad pre-workout comes in. Pure Wad pre-workout has been engineered to take your CrossFit, endurance, high-intensity exercise, whatever you're doing, to the next level. Pre will keep the burn down, keep you energized, and help you push beyond what you thought was possible. What's really great is that there's no artificial sweeteners, flavorings, or colorings. It's not chocked full of things that are going to bring you down. It's a really healthy alternative to a lot of the pre-workout supplements out there. Head on over to purewad.com. For more information, that's purewod.com, P-U-R-E-W-O-D.com for more information. Hey, this is Clark, and welcome back to the Paleo Hacks podcast. This week, we are talking about something a little different than uh, the norm. We're talking about jumping off buildings, doing stunts, and uh, how you can do the same even in your own backyard, and why that'll make you healthy, strong, and healthy. We're talking about parkour with Dan from Parkour Generations, his experience working as a stuntman for a lot of big movie sets, and how he teaches people from all around the world, all ages, all shapes and sizes, to use their body as their gym. And um, so if you're ever interested in bodyweight training, just being more fit, being more agile, this is a great show to tune into. PaleoHacks.com is the supplier of the show. Be sure you head over there for blogs, articles, recipes. If you want to get a hold of me, go over to ClarkDanger.com and get on the mailing list by downloading the free 11 questions to change your life. That's it for announcements. Here's the show. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dan from Parkour Generation. Paleo Hackers, welcome back with me. We got founder of Parkour Generations, uh, one of the leading parkour educators in the world, owner of Chain Store Gym, here today to talk about scaling walls, jumping off buildings, and escaping car chases and movies, Dan Edwards. Good to be here, Clark. Nice good, to meet you, man. Good to have you, man. I'm excited for this one. Parkour is something I think a lot of people have seen, but few people have done intentionally. Um, I'm curious, before we really get into parkour, how did you get into it? What was your entry point into this? What was your story like? Um, yeah, well, it's uh, it's actually really interesting that you say uh, people haven't done it intentionally, because you're absolutely right. Most people have done it you know, since they're kids. And, and I was the same. I grew up um, challenging myself and moving around my environment and um, and exploring. And, you know, I grew up in the countryside in England, so I was kind of always out in the woods, climbing trees, jumping, running, and all that sort of stuff, fighting. Um, and, uh, you know, just exploring the world, really, and, and trying to find my, my physical and mental limits um, and within that world. So uh, we've all kind of done it. I grew up the same as anyone else. I just grew up with... Um, probably a bit more of a, a sort of fanatical zeal about kind of uh, heroic stuff and, and trying to trying to, uh, trying to make myself as capable as I could, modeling myself on that kind of, those, those ideas that all boys grow up with, right, of superheroes and sure. uh, action, action heroes and stuff like that. Um, so, so I was studying martial arts and, and, um, and things like that since I was really tiny and then um, uh, was just fortunate uh, enough to come across parkour really when it was very young 
um, and there were only you know very few people in the world doing it in France really um, uh, the founders um, and this is before YouTube before you know any any parkour organizations or websites existed or anything like that um, so I was just fortunate to come across those guys really quite randomly almost um, and immediately um, recognized that what they were doing was was something different you know was um, uh, was was pushing the human potential in a way that I'd never seen it pushed so and, and I realized that I didn't at that stage I couldn't do what they were doing you know um, and, I, and I thought that's that's something lacking from my own training I'm not as capable as those guys are I'm not as fearless I'm you know certainly not as as, as uh, movement skilled so or as strong or as fit or as well balanced you know so so I wanted to learn it um, and and I to track down the early practitioners and start training with them um, the UK had a fledgling scene of like four or five guys um, and uh, and we kind of you know we just began training and, and followed our, our passion really and, and threw ourselves into it and soon before too long we were doing it all day every day pretty much yeah um, and it just kind of went from there and then you know a few years in um, it pretty much had taken over my life in terms of training um, to evolve into 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 the sort of the career path, I suppose, but that was pretty organic. You know, we were just doing it for the love of it. Yeah. And, um, so with your journey and I'm, and now you're teaching and I heard you did choreography for TV ads and movies. What was, what was that like? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's still a big part of what we do. So as a, you know, a part of the company, um, uh, our performance department does a lot of that work. So we, we, we started out, um, you know, before we were an organization, me and some of the other French guys, the founders and and, uh, uh, and the original sort of first and second generation practitioners, we were um, very early on, we were sort of asked to do things for TV commercials, for movies, um, to do stunts, you know, to uh, they, they, all these kind of um, uh, uses of the discipline that, you know, when people, when, when, when um, producers and directors saw it, they realized it's incredibly, visually, it's incredibly, you know, appealing. Um, there's a difference between what parkour athletes can do and what stuntmen can do, and there's a difference between doing it, truly doing it with no special effects and no mats or wires, and, and doing it with mats and wires. You know, the, the sort of audience are very savvy nowadays; they can tell the difference, right? So, yeah. parkour had a lot of appeal, and we were asked to do that stuff very early on before we started teaching or anything like that. We were doing the media work, so we were doing movie stuff and TV commercials, um, and uh, we, we went from performing in them to eventually coordinating and choreographing the, 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 the stuff as well. So we kind of created the idea of a parkour choreographer, um, which is now almost standard in most action movies to have some sort of parkour choreographer on, on site because um, there's parkour in pretty much every action movie now. So, um, but yeah, we sort of created that many years ago and um, it was great fun. You know, it's great fun working in that industry and um, meeting those people and working with the directors and the actors, training the actors, um, doing stunt dumbling or performing on, on the scene, you know, yourself as a featured role. Um, and it's something that, that our performance department still do a lot of around the world. Uh, I, I don't have so much time for it anymore, and it was never my main interest. I'm much more interested in the education and the training and the um, the uh, the kind of uh, different applications of parkour to different industries um, to help people find their potential. But you know, it's really cool fun. It's, we we had a real blast doing. It. I had a blast doing it, and um, and a lot of guys, you know, a lot of our guys, that is their livelihood is is doing that performance work. Yeah, and so. When you uh, when someone asks you what is parkour, Dan, I don't I don't know what it is, and the person listening might now maybe this is their first time hearing the word. How would you describe it in like one on one terms for them at home right now? 
So it depends on the short answer or the long answer, really. But um, um, parkour is effectively a, I'll try and give a mix. Parkour is, is a, it's a movement discipline. It's a way of training your body and mind through um, exploring and uh, navigating the terrain around you. You know, So just using your body to run, jump, climb, crawl, swing, balance, whatever, to get from A to B effectively, safely, um, quickly, and creatively. Um, so it's really just a natural movement discipline, but just really pushing our movement to the levels that, that humans can achieve in terms of, in terms of covering terrain. So um, every, pretty much everyone in the, in, the, in the modern industrialized world has seen it now. If, you've watched, if you watch TV or the movies over the last 10 years, you will have seen it. Um, it's most commonly used in the media for sort of the, you know, the rooftop chase scenes that you see in all the action movies, you know, the James Bond, Jason Bourne, um, all this kind of stuff. Any of those uh, chase scenes nowadays uh, are pretty much basing themselves on parkour and use parkour athletes. So, and it's nuts and bolts. That's what it is. It's moving over terrain, you know. But it's when you get into it and begin training it, you you understand that it's it's actually way more a mental development thing than a physical. So you you will become really fast, really fit, really strong, really agile, really capable the way your body's meant to be. Um, but the the main um, growth is really mental, it's psychological, and that you begin to understand, you know, fear. You begin to understand your 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 limitations, your inhibitions, um, and the things that hold you back. Are, they're all mental; they're not physical. Um, so that mental uh, transformation that you go through is the most interesting part, um, and that's what we we really love seeing in people. We can make them better athletes. That's very easy, you know. And there's loads of ways to do that. And you don't have to do parkour to become a better athlete, right? There's loads of ways. But the main thing about parkour is that we will see people's way of thinking will change they'll, they'll, they'll develop real lateral thinking skills real problem solving skills and they get really involved with um, understanding their fear and learning to manage their fear um, and that carries over into the rest of their life and that's the most interesting thing so that, that's kind of for me that's what parkour is it's a, it's a, a discipline of self-mastery and so if someone's listening they hear that okay parkour I want to self-master myself. I want to get agile, fit. This sounds really interesting. What is kind of like the average age that's coming and working with parkour generations or that you teach? Is it people from all ages, all different backgrounds? Is yeah. there? Oh, I guess you can take that anywhere you want. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a real mix. I mean, um, you know, we have uh, our family parkour class is for two to six-year-olds, um, and they train with with a parent at the same time. But so as young as two can join the classes, and the oldest person in the in our sort of um, senior classes uh, are, is eighty seven, I think, at the moment in London. So pretty much any you know, as long as you're capable to move and you're alive, you can train. You can improve that movement, right? So you can train. Um, obviously, the kids programs, the youth programs, you know, from sort of eight to sixteen are hugely well attended. You know, the kids of that age is what they do naturally anyway, um, and we're just we, we just give them a discipline to it. That's all. So we will, you know, we will tell them to do what most other authority figures tell them not to do. They will say, get down off that and get and stop doing that. And we say, no, get up on that. Um, and, uh, and we give them a discipline to it and teach them how to do it safely and well. And they love it. So the kids' programs are massive. We do stuff in schools all over the world. Um, and then, you know, the adult programs, obviously there's, there's a huge demographic of kind of, you know, uh, 18 to 40. That, that range of people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, but that age bracket um, is probably the main age bracket in terms of training in the classes. Um, you know, people that want to, for all reasons, people that want to get fit, that want to, you know, learn parkour, that want to move well, uh, that like the community feel of it, that like the fact that it gets you outdoors and exploring your environment. Uh, but that age group, I suppose, the 18 to 40 is, is really, um, is really the, probably the biggest age group of practitioners in the classes. So this is something that people can 
do even if they've never parkoured before even if they're brand new to this they just hear this conversation they think it sounds cool uh they can get in at a beginner level and and learn safely and learn in environments you know it's not day one you're out there scaling buildings and trying to jump (laughs) off roofs i mean that's probably a huge myth that i'm sure you you're tired of busting is that people hear parkour and they're like all right day two time to go scale this wall um you, you, that's not necessarily the smartest way to go about it. No, not at all. I mean, we um, uh, and you're absolutely right. It is it is a, it is a myth. You know, you can train in parkour and never and never go on a roof if you like. It's it's not a requirement at all. That's just the, the side that the um, you know the the media and and the, that industry like to showcase because it looks cool, right? Yeah. Um, and you can once you train in parkour, you realize that you can do that stuff with relative ease. Um, but you don't have to do that. And the majority of people who train in the classes who start as absolute beginners, um, they, they, most of them don't have any interest really in going and jumping from one roof to another. They're interested in, in getting fit, getting healthy, and, and improving their movement skills. And the majority of that is done at ground level, at street level. Um, and there's also way more interesting architecture to work with at street level than there is on rooftops. It's normally a pretty flat and kind of boring. So... Um, you know, we do that stuff for the movies and that, but uh, no, I mean, the 95% of all training um, and of all teaching is done at street level. Um, and that, and that, you know, that's, that's what people want to do, really. And you get the most benefit from that. So, if, But you do have the potential once you've trained in this kind of movement stuff and, you, and you've mastered, the, mastered your, your fear and begun to understand how to manage risk in that way. You know, you can then go and train at height as well. I mean, we, we do encourage people to do that if, if they want to go down that path and, and get to grips with that aspect of themselves. Um, and you'll find you, you're able to do it. And actually, um, it's it's probably not as challenging or interesting as um, as you think. So, or as interesting and challenging as the ground level stuff. Yeah. And so the ground level stuff, like for someone listening right now, and they for they haven't seen a video of parkour and they're trying to picture what ground level training looks like. Can you? What does a typical routine look like, or a, a course on ground level? Well, there's no typical routine. That's kind of the point. So parkour is adaptation to your environment. So whatever whatever structures and environment you have around you, it could be a forest with trees and roots and rocks. It could be a street with you know walls and railings and stairs and and things like that. But the idea is to apply movement skills to overcome these obstacles and to 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 engage with them and navigate them and um, uh, and find solutions to the challenges in your path. So um, it could be as simple as as uh, creating a route of movement that goes over a load of walls that are, you know, three feet off the ground, two feet off the ground. Um, could be could be that simple. Um, but in that process, you're learning to adapt to space. You're learning a lot of practical movement skills. You're learning a lot of practical mobility um, in order to be able to get yourself over these obstacles and, you know, open up the hips so you can step up and, and vault over. You're learning impact absorption to be able to land properly and absorb the impact and disperse it through the body. Um, you know, you're learning speed, power, agility, spatial awareness, coordination. Um, you know, you're vaulting, you're running, you're jumping, you're climbing, you're crawling, you're swinging. Um and these are the sort of movements. The, these are these are the gross motor skills that um, the human body has evolved to do. You know, it's why we are this way. It's why we were built this way. It's why our hips are shaped this way. It's why our arms can 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 brachiate. Um, uh, our shoulders can do that. Um, it's because that that's how we've evolved. So we're, we're meant to do it. Um, and arguably, that's the best movement sort of nutrition for the body is to do what your body has evolved to do, you know, and that the body responds the best to that, which is why parkour athletes appear so incredibly capable um, to the normal person. It's not because they're superhuman. They're just using their body the way it's kind of meant to be used. Um, It's pretty simple. 
so with like I'm curious then with your experience and you've been in it now for a while and you're teaching all over um, either during your stunt days or choreographing things was there ever a time you thought you took it too far or did you ever have any different injuries or a time where maybe you got yourself in a situation that you felt you couldn't get out of um well, fortunately, so far, no, I haven't been in any situations I couldn't get out of because I'm still here. So, um, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's worked out pretty well. Um, uh, I don't know if, if there's ever, I'd say there's ever a situation I've gone too far. You know, I mean, I've, I've, picked, I've been a professional athlete now um, for mm, almost 12 years, I guess. So, um, so I've picked up injuries here and there, like any professional athlete would in any sport, right? But Buckwell has way fewer injuries than most of the regular sports, football, rugby, horse riding, um, they all have way more injuries per, per capita than parkour does. So, um, I mean, I picked up a few injuries, but nothing horrendous. Um, and, and injuries, you know, we see them as um, feedback, really. We see them as, uh, as simply a form of feedback to tell you you're doing something wrong, either psychologically or physically. You haven't got something right yet. Um, and it's a way of your, you know, the, of the body sort of slapping you around the face and saying, you know, you're, you're doing this wrong in a, in a, in a bad way. And, I'm afraid you're going to get injured now, and that's going to teach you the lesson you need to learn. So, so we kind of have this odd view that parkour is uh, that the injuries are kind of just feedback and, and actually a good thing because they, they're basically a big lesson, you know. So we, we learn from that. Um, you heal, you recover, um, you get better, you get stronger, and then you don't repeat that mistake. Um, ideally, listen to your body earlier before you get to the injury state. But um, uh, some of us aren't that clever. Um, and you know the body's going to get wear and tear from any athletic discipline, so um, so we don't we don't really um, it's not it's not something it's not a reason to stop training or to stop being physical. Um, uh, you're never going to keep your body in pristine order the whole of your life, and if you yeah. do, it probably means you're not using it. You know, so um, but no, I mean so far, you know, I've I've had a few injuries, but n- nothing horrendous, and um, and no situation I couldn't get out of. We're very careful in parkour to. Um, to train progressively and only to attempt stuff when we're 100% sure we can do it pretty much you know so there's no it's not a risk taking discipline in that way um, it's, it's not like most of the adventure sports that are kind of misnamed as extreme sports you know it's not extreme in that way of kind of seeking adrenaline rush and doing crazy stuff parkour is not like that at all um, it's a very meditative discipline it's a very it's a discipline about self control and understanding what your body can do um, and what your mind can do and then applying those skills so, you know, it's actually it's actually risk averse in some ways. Most parkour practitioners are risk averse because they, they don't want to get hurt because they want to be able to train every day. So, we're yeah. pretty careful about that stuff. Yeah, uh, is how much is technique involved in parkour? I'm sure, like you just drill on for hours and hours and hours of muscle movements and memories and just doing it hundreds of times. Um, I imagine that's a huge part. But is there anything that's not technique driven that you can share over the call for like people at home whether that be uh different methods of landing or different methods of like vaulting or stuff that they could try um at home or anything like that that comes to mind yeah i mean it's a it's an interesting um you know technique the word technique is an interesting word um and parkour does have a lot there's a lot of biomechanical um training it goes into it, right, to understand how your body moves optimally, how it absorbs impact optimally, how it exerts power optimally, all this kind of stuff, right? And we train that a lot, yeah. So we do we do repeat the movements over and over and over again 
as with any discipline, trying to master what they are, trying to master skill, you know. Um, having said that, when we when we teach, we always teach that we teach, uh, the way we say it is attributes over technique. So we teach that the attributes of your movement are more important than any individual technique in isolation. So attributes, by that we mean things like um, the, uh, the, the the strength, the the solidity, the the grace of it, the fluidity, the 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 softness, um, you know, the the power, whatever these things. These are attributes of movement, and if you've got those attributes uh, down, that sort of the you know, coordination, the spatial spatial awareness, the agility. If you've got those those concepts down, and you're and you're moving well um, without too much thought, then Technique comes second. You know, the techniques will come as you need them. Um, and techniques evolved in parkour as just as a response to different challenges, to, to different environments. So um, people can immediately take up this kind of training. Um, we do recommend they get guidance and help from someone if they really want to get into it. Um, but there's no reason why as a human being you can't go out and explore your environment and start moving around like you do when you're a kid, right? Kids do it without any instruction. They'll just go and climb trees. They'll go and clamber over walls. They'll balance along walls. Um, they'll crawl under things, you know, they'll swing on tree branches. They, we all do it growing up and, and you know, we survive. So um, it's, a, it's a form of play, right? So there's no reason as an adult you can't go and get back in touch with that and go and move out and just explore your world and play around. As long as you take it very um, progressively, gradually, gently, you know, build up to it, depending on your level of fitness and strength, what you've got at the moment. Um, uh, there's no reason why you can't start doing that straight away. And, and that doesn't require technique so much it just requires um the development of attributes okay uh, when you're about to do like a uh, pretty intense parkour routine or um I, I know you can practice 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 but sometimes if you're not in the moment it goes totally wrong and that's mm -hmm. for anything you know even like these interviews i can prep yep. till i'm blue in the face but if i'm not in the moment it, the, it just doesn't happen as well. You just have some days where it's not happening. So do you do anything to get yourself mentally ready before you do the routine or anything like that? Do you have any mental rituals? Um, I'm mindfulness, you know, what, what I would call mindfulness, I guess, um, is, is hugely important in parkour. So being fully, fully engaged with what you're doing um, it's hugely important and, and yeah there are loads of different ways to get into that state of mind um, you know and you can do it organically through physical practice a, de a decent warm up where you're attending to your body and the mobility patterns of your body and, and, and getting the muscles work getting the heart going that will do it right that will integrate your body and mind so the warm up is really the key part for that reason um, because you want to get into that kind of flow state right um, that, that Sixth Member Heil talks about or peak performance Maslow called it or whatever in the zone you know athletes today call it that is that's the vital thing that's the optimal state to train in um and you want to be in that state now the good thing about parkour is that it kind of automatically puts you in that state um and the reason being is that you can't really do a discipline like parkour without being mentally fully engaged with it because it's quite uh, the movements are quite complex dynamic movements yeah so they require you to be thinking and and there they require you to be involved um you can't just sort of it's not the same as getting on a treadmill putting on your headphones and, and thinking about your chicken dinner while you plod along, right? Because right. if you do that, you're going you're gonna to hit a wall or a railing or, yeah, or fall on your ass. Yeah. So there are consequences to not being aware of what you're doing in parkour. So, so kind of right from the beginning of the training, it puts you in the flow state. So it, 
you, in a way, you don't need to think about preparing yourself for the zone because it immediately gets you there, um, which is really a powerful thing. Um, and I think one of the most powerful elements of parkour is that it's an it's a way to access the flow state um, for anyone anywhere um, because you know most of the adventure disciplines will put you into the flow state. Um, if you jump out of a plane with a wingsuit on, you're straight away in the flow state, right? Because if you mess it up, it's a long fall. Um, when you're skateboarding, it kind of puts you in the flow state because you're on this thing with wheels and you've got to really focus. Um, all the kind of adventure disciplines will do that automatically, surfing, et cetera, et cetera, because there's a consequence to not being there, right? You've got skin in the game in a way. Um, but the problem with all of those, not the problem, but the limiting factor of all of those is that they normally require either very specialized equipment um, very quick, very expensive settings, such as a plane to jump out of, or a mountain to ski down, or whatever, or waves to surf on, um, and often specialist areas or training, you know, to to do that. Um, some sort of act. There's there's barriers to entry, right? Uh, whereas parkour, you just go outside. So <laughs> there's um there's no barriers to entry. Anyone can do it. You know, you don't need to be you don't need to have any money. You don't need any special equipment. Um, and so it's a way that anyone can kind of access their flow state quite easily and that's the real power of it i think and that's what we love to sort of that's why it's such a useful vehicle to teach with right yeah that's what i'm totally seeing when i'm watching the videos of people doing parkour is you can't not be in flow state and that's something i've been fascinated with now for the past couple years is people's different rituals to get in that flow state and um i think mihai cheek set mihai was the researcher who really came up with and coined that term flow state and yep. he put it on uh, he put a graph that was really cool and on one axis it had skill and the other axis the long one had challenge, challenge. Yeah. and that when you're right in between there when it's balanced in the middle that's your flow state so when you have enough yeah. skill and enough challenge but if you and then it was cool cuz if you have too much skill and not enough challenge well you get boredom and that's why yeah. you know if you're in a class that's too easy for you, you're zoning out in school and you're getting disruptive and you're throwing things at the teacher. But if you have too much challenge and not enough skill, then you get anxiety and that's where you get overwhelmed. The opposite, like if you're taking a test you didn't study for and it's like, oh my God, this thing is so challenging. I'm so anxious about it. And so I can imagine that really applies with parkour and everything because like, if you have not enough skill and too much challenge on a course, you're going to get anxious, psych yourself out and not be there. And if yeah. you have too much skill and not enough challenge, you're just going to be bored with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's what's, it's that finding that middle zone, right? There's sometimes, it's sometimes called edge work, um, is, is the, the optimal place for development as a human being in any skill, not just in physical skills, but in also anything, right? Academic, um, psychological, emotional, whatever, is where you're um, on the right on the cusp of success and failure. Um, that edge zone between comfort and impossibility um, is the key zone to be in. The, if you can be in that zone all of the time when you train, you will progress really, really quickly. Um, that's where the gains are made. So that edge work idea um, is critical, and parkour pretty much takes you to the edge work area very quickly. Um, because you'll find that it requires an absolute uh, combination of all your psychological skills and your physical skills to pull off even what might seem when you're looking at it, when you're watching it, quite simple things. A lot of people will look at parkour and go, oh, it's easy, I can do it. Um, but then when they try it, when they actually get up and look at jumping from this wall to this wall or climbing over this or whatever, suddenly it's like, oh, it's 
actually much harder than I thought. And that's because it's, it requires a, a combination of body and mind. Um, and it's th- that, you know, most people don't do that very often. So um, it's, uh, it's much harder than it looks in many ways. It's simpler than it looks in a way, but it's also harder than it looks. Um, so, uh, but it, it takes you to that edge zone straight away, yeah. And then you're absolutely right, man. That's the, that's the place to be if you want to progress. What about overthinking? How do you? Because I'm, I'm imagining, like, if you're doing a parkour stunt, it's easy to overthink and psych yourself out for it. Do you have any techniques you use or any tips for people who have overthinking issues? Yeah, it's a big thing. It's a huge thing, you know. Not only in parkour, but in all disciplines, um, obviously. Uh, and and again, it takes you out of the flow state, right? As soon as you start thinking too much and trying to control the movement, trying to control your mental state, that's your first self. That's your conscious self doing it. And that breaks you out of the flow. So, uh, so, but but equally, if you try not to overthink, you're still overthinking, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's uh, for me the way we do it. We have many ways of doing it, but the 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 main way of doing it is getting people to um, enter into a state or, or, or practice things that's known as deliberate practice. Um, which is a, a, a phrase first coined by a guy called, um, I think, Anders Ericsson um, about 30, 40 years ago. And um, deliberate practice has been seen to be the, the way that all the you know, premier athletes in the world get to where they are. Um, and it's basically a, I mean, there's meant a lot to it. But if I'm really quick, the concept is pick one thing and focus on that one thing um, with, to incredible detail in your training session. Um, and it could be it can be a very small thing, but focus on getting that exactly right. Now, and by doing that, um, because you're concentrating on one thing, so it could be, for example, in a in a in a running jump, um, in parkour precision jump, it could be you're focusing solely on having a super accurate landing, right? That's it. So you're focusing completely on the on the accuracy of your landing, the perfection of that landing on the exactly on the balls of the feet, landing pad of the foot, exactly connecting with the the edge of the obstacle you're landing on good deceleration and all that but you're only concentrating on the accuracy by concentrating only on one thing um, you have this kind of spotlight attention and it means the rest of the movement is taken care of by the unconscious self so that stops you overthinking because you're just focusing on one thing Hmm. overthinking is normally where you're trying to you know focus on the accuracy and the speed and the power and the you know uh, your position in space and your body structure and trying to do all that stuff at one time and that that doesn't work the brain can't do that so we, we focus on deliberate practice and we and we do that mainly through as i'm sure you know you know through through what coaches call cueing um which is by giving people one piece of information at a time to focus on uh and normally making an external or an extrinsic cue so it's not something that they have to think about a lot so for example if you tell someone an intrinsic cue, for example, which is the opposite, which is not so useful. Um, something like um, uh, contract the glutes, right? That's an intrinsic cue. Um, and for a lot of people, it doesn't, it doesn't really mean a lot. A lot of people might not know where their glutes are. They don't know what it feels like to contract them. They can't do it. Um, but if you give them an extrinsic cue, like um, uh, jump as far as you can, right? Um, they will automatically use their posterior chain as, as powerfully as they can because they're trying just to achieve an outcome. So it's an external cue. So that that is a way of getting around the overthinking. You just give them something very simple uh, and very specific to think about, um, and the rest of their movement is taken care of by by the unconscious mover. 
or like um, in, that's one way of doing it in college i love that concept of a cue that's really fascinating it popped in my head while you were talking like in college we were going over movement patterns for functional anatomy and my professor had one when you're squatting doing a deep squat on the way up sometimes your knees have a tendency to buckle in so if yep. you're like if you're like you know posterior rotate your knees or laterally it's it's complicated so he would say show your crotch show your crotch okay. And so you would, and naturally doing it, your knees would start to go out and your squat form would get a lot better. Uh, and so now when I'm squatting, that's what I hear in my mind is show your crotch, show your crotch. And so every single leg workout, boom, right there. And then naturally the squat gets better. Perfect. That's an, that's an external cue. And that means the guy's a good coach <laughs> <laughs> because you, you remember it um, and you right. do it. So it's, so it's effective coaching. Whereas, yeah, something like you know, yeah, engage, you know, uh, till the hips or, or externally rotate the femurs or whatever, you know, who <laughs> remembers that? No, and no, who knows what that is? So, um, but, um, but yeah, something simple as, as, it, as show the crotch, boom, you remember it, you do it for the rest of your life. Well, and Dan, I think it was cool what you brought up about deliberate practice. That's a big one, even to relate it to people at home listening who might not do parkour, but you know, they're in the gym three times a week. Um, it, the deliberate practice there could look like, you know, it'd be easy to go to the gym and just go through the motions and get on a treadmill or maybe even go through your weightlifting exercise. But deliberate practice would look like being really conscious about every single movement you're doing contract. Okay. I'm doing a bench press contracting my pecs while I do it, trying to pull the bar away or push the bar away. It's a totally different workout. It's a totally different feeling. 100%. And it's and deliberate practice is, Pretty, you know, if you look into this stuff now and look into what's known as the the science of expertise um, and learn effective learning strategies, uh, you will find a, a huge amount of information on it, huge amount of scientific studies that basically demonstrate that anyone who has ever become really good at anything, as in really good, world class, hmm. um, they did it through deliberate practice, um, and that it is pretty much the key to achieving mastery of anything. Um, and if you're not training like that, or not learning like that, or not studying like that. It's going to be very random, very slow, and very ineffective. Um, so anyone who wants to learn anything, not only physical stuff, it could be music, it could be driving a car, it could be learning, how to, uh, learning another language. Um, if you understand the principles of deliberate practice, uh, you will learn it a lot quicker, a lot more effectively, um, and you'll, therefore you'll save yourself time and you'll be able to learn other stuff. You know? So you just become a better version of yourself. So it's absolutely key yeah. to train anything. Well, that's where coaching comes in because now you get the feedback from someone else who can hold you accountable and say, hey, you know, Clark, you're not showing up with when you're drumming, you're just sitting down playing through songs instead of like, hey, you need to actually do your rudiments and work on these fills or these uh, you're lagging when you go into courses or something like that. I'm just thinking in musical terms, but even for health, you know, if someone's out there struggling and they hire a personal trainer, talk about deliberate practice you're going to get a different workout with that trainer, you know? Yes. Yeah, that is a step toward, exactly, good guidance, good good, um, good uh, teaching, uh, a good source of information is a, is, a, is a key element in deliberate practice. But you've got to make sure it's a good source of information. So, so getting, right. a, getting a trainer is the first, is a good step, but if the trainer is bad and doesn't know how to uh, use deliberate practice as, as the core of their coaching, then it will be kind of just a waste of your time and money. So, because um, they'll be telling you to do very ineffective stuff, which you could do by yourself for free. So, um, so it's a case of not only finding, you know, having the wherewithal to apply a coach and get a coach 
um, for your training. It's a good step, man. But it's um, there's a lot of ineffective coaches out there. You know, I, we, we hate to say it, but there are. Um, and uh, it's it's a case of finding a good coach who knows that who understands that that concept. Yeah. So Dan, uh, we normally have some closing questions. I have a feeling we're gonna spend some time on these, so I wanted to bring them a little early. Uh, to kick off the party on the closing questions, what's one thing you've learned this year that's been like the biggest lesson for Dan? Anything popped into mind? Yeah, I think um, I mean I'm I'm always trying to learn stuff, right? Anyway, so because because I don't because I'm stupid and and I need to learn things, so I'm always trying to learn as many things as possible. But I think recently, um, probably my the biggest takeaway from the last sort of twelve months, I guess, would be um, to slow down more. Um, and to just in, in, uh, and, and also just to stop at times, you know, just to stop and be, um, and uh, and 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 take that time literally to do nothing, you know, because I've been for the last most of my life, I guess, but especially for the last ten years, um, building what we built around the world and all that, it's been very uh, hectic, you know, and and a hundred go 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 all the time, um, and and part of me really enjoys that and really thrives on that, um, so so I didn't mind doing it, but. There comes time when you realise it's actually not. It's more effective to 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 slow down and to, and to to take time to to stop and have a have a slow build into things in the morning. Maybe you know, um, it's like that old parable that said, um, you know, the um, the Buddhist student who went goes to his master and says, you know, I, I want I really want to achieve enlightenment as quickly as possible. Um, uh, you know, how 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 long how, if I if I'm, if, how long will I? How long? So has, I'm trying to think how, how, how to word it. But um, he, he basically wants to achieve it as quick as possible. And he says, um, uh, "If I, if I really want to achieve enlightenment, how long will it take?" And the guy says, "Basically, if you meditate for um, four hours a day, uh, it'll take you ten years." And then the guy says, "Okay, so what about if I, if I give up everything and really just devote myself to it, and I have just, you know, I, I really want to get there as quickly as possible?" He says, "Well, if you do, if you have that approach, then it will uh, be four hours a day for twenty years." Huh. And the guy says, "Well, <laughs> why is it twice as long?" He says, "Because you know, you're 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 trying to get there too quickly. You're rushing it, um, yeah. and, that, and that is that is basically you're trying to force it, so it's not going to happen. So just slow down." Um, and and I really like that that kind of approach, and I think it's. I've definitely found it's helped. So the biggest lesson I've, I've learned is take time out, man. Just take time to be, you yeah. know. And that that doesn't mean going off and finding other things to distract yourself, but actually finding finding a way to avoid distraction and just sit with what is and be, you know. Um, so that, that's probably the best lesson I've learned in the last year. Do you carve that time out, or because I know like. For me, I've said, okay, it's important to slow down and do things mindfully and the whole nine, but I'm still rushing around and filling up time, trying to be as busy as I can, as productive as I can. And I realize, like, if I don't actually carve time out, I still kind of am turned turned on. I'm not all the way off. Like, so how do you do you carve time out to do that? Yeah, yeah, I think you have to, man. Um, and and the thing is, you'll discover, um, or I certainly discovered that you become more productive by doing less. Um, hmm. so, um, and that's because you, you do, you're more considered in what you do and therefore you do stuff that is more effective. You don't waste time with, you know, with, with, um, with, uh, with busy work, you know, or just distracting yourself and, and getting distracted. You're very focused. So for example, if you take the time in the morning 
to spend um, uh, half an hour or an hour in, in meditation and just and just you know just sitting there and, and just being right. A lot of people would say, "Man, with that hour, I could do so much." But the fact that you spend that hour doing that, it really it means you, it completely aligns you to your purpose that day. So you then know exactly what is important to do that day. Um, and you will do those things straight away. You'll be fully engaged, fully focused, and you do those things, bang, and they're done. Whereas if you don't do that and you rush off doing a thousand things and immediately answer emails and you just get distracted in the whole busy work thing, which right. is easy to do in the modern world, right, of answering emails and doing this and checking this and checking that and calling, um, and the end of the day comes and you realize you haven't actually done the really important things you had to do. Um, so it's a very ineffective thing. Yeah. So I think it's a case of do one thing at a time, you know, that one thing approach. What's the most important thing I have to do today? And the way... To and the only way you can know that is by actually sitting sitting with yourself for a little bit of time, even if it's just 10 seconds, you know, um, but just slowing down a bit and thinking, what what is actually that I have to do? What's the most important thing to do? And then prioritize that. And everything else, you just leave. You just ignore. You just do that one thing. So, um, so I think you do have to carve time out. I do carve time out to train every day by myself, you know, or, or with others, but just training, not work. Um, and to, to, to meditate, um, and then even time just literally just to do nothing, you know, just uh, I haven't got anything planned, I'm just going to do nothing, see what comes up, um, and that's a very creative time normally, um, uh, so yeah, and, and, and I haven't found that I've been less productive, I haven't found that I've achieved less, hmm. um, I've been, it generally makes you happier, less stressful, and, um, and you achieve more, um, so I, I fully recommend it here. Yeah, that's... When you were talking about doing less and kind of setting your day up, what's the most important task? Meditating. I've pictured uh, Stephen Covey's Sharpening the Saw in his book, The yeah. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And for, I'm sure everyone, everyone listening's probably heard it, but if if they haven't, you know, there's that story where there's two guys cutting down trees, and one of them's just whacking away at the tree with his axe over and over and over again, and the other guy's just sitting there sharpening his saw. And then after a while, he goes over to him. He's like, hey, man, you should probably sharpen your blade. It doesn't look like it's working. And the guy who's whacking out the tree says, what do you mean sharpen the blade? I'm too busy cutting down this tree. Mm, and so yeah. it's kind of that. It's, yeah. If you sharpen the blade, it cuts twice as fast. And yeah. sometimes that's working smarter, not just harder. And that's what, you, that's what you're talking about, I think. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, that comes from an Abraham Lincoln quote originally, which was, um, if I had six hours to cut down a tree, I would spend four hours sharpening the axe. Huh. Um, yeah, so, uh, and, and that's he's exactly right. Yeah, the more preparation that you can have, some, the, more, the more focused you can be before you begin a project, as in the more you know what outcomes you want, you know, uh, how it's going to begin, and the more you can kind of spend time preparing. Uh, and to do that, you need to spend time thinking what you want from it the quicker and more effective it'll be rather than just charging in and hoping it's going to work out. So yeah, I mean, take, take time, slow down and, um, and, uh, and, and also, you know, take, take the time to think about what you really want, what you really want to achieve and, um, uh, what's going to get you that, you know, rather than just randomly going off in search of vague ideals and, and things like that that you've sure. been told. To so desert Island game, Dan gets one book to bring or one resource to bring. What do you choose? Yeah. Uh, one, the, what I've done this question before. You know, it's incredibly hard now because I read a lot. But um, uh, one book to bring. So a book, book for me, I guess. Right. Um, I would probably bring. I mean, I I would probably end up bringing um, 
one of the many books by Jiddu Krishnamurti, who's an Indian sage hmm. and uh, Indian philosopher, I suppose he was. Um, he's just a super clever guy, you know, didn't adhere to any religion or any faith, but just an incredibly clever thinker. Um, and his way of thinking, his way of looking at things is, is so clear and direct um, that it's just useful, you know, to every now and again to, to step back into that and, and be reminded of very clear objective thinking. So, uh, and I've studied his stuff since I was a kid. Do you have a book that you would recommend people look at first? Like, what's your favorite one of his? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's you know, he spoke all around the world for decades um, with many of the best thinkers <laughs> of the age, and most of those were turned into dialogues. Most of those dialogues were turned into books. Um, but I suppose the best sort of, a good way to get into it is a book called Freedom from the Known, um, uh, which is which is quite thin, and, and it kind of gives you an overview of many of his ideas on many subjects. It's quite hard in many ways for a lot of people, I think, and, and it was for me, because he's so... He's so clear and so and so bright yeah. that uh, uh, he doesn't mix his words, and he can be quite ruthless with his philosophy in a way. But there's no denying that he's he's kind of right. Yeah. So <laughs> um, it's uh, bluntness. Uh, it's it's a dis- it's a mental discipline reading his stuff, and I like that. Yeah, yeah. Some of those uh, deep thinkers who are very they don't put any preferences or any they'll be talking about one thing and then they'll just give an example that's so out of left field, but so they just throw it in there anyway. Um, yeah. like Osho's another one of those guys who always yeah. throws in weird left field examples, but they work somehow. Um, yeah. yeah, those are, those are good. All right, Dan. Well, so before we close, I know we spent the first bit talking about parkour and I don't want to leave people hanging, um, where are, where can people go to get into parkour if they're interested, or um, w- what's your recommendation for that? Um, well, I mean, our website obviously um, is is probably the best resource. That's parkourgenerations.com, and that um, that from that you can get linked to all of the the other sort of um, uh, national websites that we have. We have a you know group in America, we have a group in Brazil, we have a group in um, Korea, you know whatever. So you can you can hook up with those guys via our central website. Um, it's got pretty good information. All the events we run, all the teaching, all the certification programs. Um, so that's probably the best sort of central resource, I guess. Um, but you know, always the best resource is to find a good coach or a good instructor, um, a good guide near you who you can um, who you can learn learn from. So there's there's nothing beats personal interaction with someone and 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 that kind of one to one tuition, right? So um, so I'd say that's the best resource, you know, if you can get it. And you can find a good list of those qualified instructors via our website and via the uh, the adapt qualifications website which is the certifications website um that's got a list of all the certified instructors around the world um so that's pretty useful um okay. yeah and you have a certification correct it's the adapt yeah adapt so oh, uh adapt. The platform, yeah Kind of <laughs> Not an acronym. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the acronym stands for Ardu de Plasmore and Parkour Teaching. Um, okay. So it's um, it's it's the it's run all around the world. I think we've delivered it in thirty countries now. It's accredited by most of the major accreditation bodies in the world, um, and uh, it's the pathway to become a parkour coach. We also have the parkour fitness specialist um, education program, which is more geared towards fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to understand how to include these kind of movement principles into their programming and their training for their clients and stuff. So that's that's pretty pretty cool as well. And um, it's a slightly different focus from the pure, you know, I want to coach parkour. Yeah. This is more, yeah. okay, I want to understand the the movement principles and the strength and, and conditioning principles that, that work in parkour and how can I apply them to my clients. So both those 
education programs are, are, are accessible around the world now, um, and they're good fun. Parkour Generations, that's P-A-R-K-O-U-R uh, generations.com. And yes. Dan Edwards, everybody, thanks for coming on. Dan, this is a really fun show. I uh, appreciate your time. Definitely a first for the Paleo Hacks, learning about jumping off buildings and all that fun stuff. Absolute pleasure, Clark. It's been really, really good to talk, man. And um, yeah, it's, you know, happy to, to spread the good word. Um, and um, if you get a chance to try parkour out yourself, do it. I will. No buildings anytime soon, but I'll definitely take a look at the site and see if there's anything very amateur that I can uh, I can try out here in Seattle. <laughs> good approach. All right, man. Until next time. Thanks, Clark. Cheers, man. All right, that's it. Fascinating show. I hope you enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, again, that's Dan from Parkour Generations. Have his website right here. You can just go to parkourgenerations.com. That's P-A-R-K, like park, O-U-R, so parkourgenerations.com. Aside from that, paleohacks.com is the place to be for our archives. Head on over there and make sure you've listened to every episode. Don't want to miss anything um, or the ones that interest you. You don't have to listen to them all. And then if you want to get a hold of me, you can reach me at Clark Dangerous on social media. And the last thing I'll say is I just launched my first ever ultimate guide to keeping a journal course. So we go through this and we show you how to use a little $7 journal and turn it into the best tool you can use for your self-growth, development, and uh, happiness, really. That's what it's all about. So mybestjournal.com if you want to learn more about that, how to turn your journal into the best book you've ever read. Next week, we have Abel James coming on to talk about his big experience being a TV star, getting recognized in supermarkets and whatnot. Uh, That'll be really fun. That was a good show. I always enjoy talking to Abel. He's got a lot of energy and positivity. So if you want some laughs, be sure to tune in next week. Got a few more shows scheduled on the calendar to record, but many of you know we are coming to an end with the Paleo Hacks podcast. Starting in October, we will not be producing the show any longer. Um, It was a mutual decision between Paleo Hacks and myself. Just moving on, focusing our energies and time into other projects and other things. Um, So the archives will remain free. They'll stay up there. And you can go back through and listen to the shows whenever you want at your own pace. We have over 100 shows. So, I mean, honestly, if you did that um, one a week, it would still take you two years. So you could listen to it for two years if you wanted to. But again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for your support over these past three years. Started doing the show as an intern in college, um, just trying to get, you know, health credits and stuff. And it turned into something. Something that sustained me through um, through many years. Got to travel the world, got to have a lot of great experiences, meet tons of cool people, have amazing conversations I was privileged to have with people I would otherwise never get to talk to one-on-one for an hour. So, I mean, in terms of a growing tool, it was phenomenal. Um, can't say enough great things. But be sure to head over there to paleohacks.com support the show by downloading the archives or uh, getting on the community over there. All right, that's it. I'll see you back here next week. Have a great week. See you then.